I thought, first of all, for the younger ones who already know the story that we read from Mark chapter 2, I thought we might have a little quiz. And and I've got a little, um, I don't know what you would call it, a a snake or something that I'm going to use to uh, ask you some questions. So my first question is, we should have said this before we read it from the Bible, shouldn't we? I want to um, ask you this. What was wrong with the man in the story? And I'll, I'll give you some clues. What was wrong with the man in the story? And uh, you can put your hands up and... Um, go on. He was paralysed, yeah. That's meant to be his legs, okay? Uh, and they were broken. So, now, let me, um, let me give you another one here. I have to do this right because we're not in a mirror. How many friends did the man have? Does it say that in that passage that we read? Four. That is the correct answer. That was a four. He had four friends and they brought the man to Jesus lying on his mat or bed. So I suppose there must have been one in each corner. And there's his bed. Now in those days, when they, when they got to the uh, place where Jesus was, it was a... Can you see what that is? Uh, I'll give you another clue. In our country, they're shaped more like that. But in this country, they were shaped more like that. Samsa. It wasn't an inn, but it was kind of an inn. Have another bash. People live in it. Yours might look like that. A house. Had a flat roof. Flat roof like that, okay. And some of these houses would have had something up the side of them that looked something like that. Sam Jones, after you say it, some steps up the side of the house. And you could go up onto the top of the flat roof, I suppose, if you wanted to sunbathe. I fell asleep in the sun yesterday. Can you tell? <laughs> Just for about 20 minutes, and I woke up and my face was burning. One of the children says, you look really red. Thankfully, it was only 20 minutes. Up the steps, onto the side of the house. Now, the problem was, when they came to the house, it said in the Bible that we read, there were so many people crowding around. We'll look at it again in a minute. They couldn't get into the front door. I suppose I could make a front door, couldn't I? Front door. It's a bit short. I need five, don't I? So they climbed up the steps. They went onto the roof. And they made in the roof, if I do it this way now, they made in the roof a hole. Like that, but that way. And I'm told because you can read books about this sort of thing, that the reef would be made of like straw and mud, and then more straw going the other way, and mud, and they would make tiles of straw and mud, make them. So you can imagine, Jesus is inside the house, the place is packed, people all down the garden path, and suddenly he's a scratch in the roof. Imagine if that happened today. And suddenly, I was wondering actually before today whether we could hide someone in the roof and do this. Because you can get in the roof through that little hatch up there. And um, how funny would that be for the roof to suddenly start breaking up? And through this, and they, they look up and they see daylight. What on earth is going on? And then four faces peer into the hole. It's on the roof of mine there. And then the man's bed comes lowering down through the hole, right in front of Jesus' nose. Now, they didn't drop him. And he didn't land on Jesus and squash him. But he came down 
and landed right in front of Jesus. Well, what did Jesus uh, make of that? What did all the people in the uh, place make of that? Well, I want to... um, Let me just share a few thoughts with you and and, uh, we'll see where we go. First of all, you might have noticed, in fact, if you've got a Bible as well, it'd be good to keep your finger on the page um, of Mark chapter 2 and you can check what I'm saying here. Jesus goes to a certain place. It was by the Lake Galilee, Capernaum. And people heard that he'd come home and it says here in verse 2, so many people gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Is this working? If it isn't, I'm going to ask Rob to move it on to the next slide. Popularity. It's an amazing thing that Jesus, at this stage in his ministry, was so popular. When he came home, loads of people came to the house. And he preached the word to them, it says. He preached the word to them. We, we live in a culture, don't we, where we have celebrities. And if a celebrity comes to town, people will flock to see them. When Jesus came home, hundreds of people came to see him. I wonder why they came. Why, why do you think they came? When Jesus turned up in Capernaum. Were they just curious? Were they thinking that he was going to, do, he was going to heal them? Maybe they had some other reasons, I don't know. But what I want you to think about is that Jesus really didn't care about popularity. In the previous chapter, lots of people came to him there as well. And Jesus got up really early in the morning, it says. He went out to pray to his Father in heaven. And they didn't know where he was. Eventually they found him and Jesus said, We must go to the other villages too, to preach to them. And so while people were flocking to hear him, Jesus was, they've heard now, we're going to go to other villages because they need to hear as well. He wasn't, um, he didn't succumb to the idea of being popular. But then we have this amazing problem, don't we? Of these uh, four friends trying to get their friend to Jesus. They must have believed that Jesus could heal this man. And they wondered what Jesus was going to do and they brought him on his bed. And... uh, what a problem when they get to the house and it's so, that maybe they arrive late, I don't know. A few weeks ago, we went to the cinema at uh, Valley Entertainment on Orange Wednesday. And I'd never been on Orange Wednesday before, which is strange when there's seven of us. I ought to have gone every Orange Wednesday. Orange Wednesday, you can get two for the price of one or something like that. And we arrived a bit late. We were still early and it, the place was packed. And Jane was driving around trying to park and I'm like a typical man, I was, let me do it. You go in the cinema and I'll park. There were still no spaces, even though I tried. So I ended up parking a little lay-by. And I got a parking ticket. And I got fined. 80 pounds. That's what it cost me for blaming my wife for not being able to park. 80 pounds. Shocking. And I tried to dispute it, but I ended up having to pay it. So it was a very expensive night at the cinema. These guys turn up at the house. It was like that evening. The whole place is thronging. And there's no parking ticket. They just can't get their friend in through the door. And what an amazing solution. They're very ingenious, aren't they? They must have known the guy who owned the house, I'm sure. But they go up on the roof and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. 
Now, what I want you to notice is what Jesus does, because a very strange statement comes next. This man, who has effectively got legs that won't work, is paralysed. We don't know why or how. He's lowered down in front of Jesus. His friends appearing through the hole, one at each corner. The whole room goes quiet. And Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And I wonder whether the man was thinking, What? My sins are forgiven? I didn't come to be lowered through the roof to hear you say that do you not get it my legs don't work what on earth are my sins forgiven for I've been, I've been brought here by my four friends they've taken day off work and gone to a lot of trouble here and you say your sins are forgiven I didn't really want that Jesus I can't go anywhere I can't get a job I can't get married on the whole my life is pretty miserable and you say your sins are forgiven does that strike you as odd I want you to notice that Jesus is very amazing at taking people deeper than what they think their problem is and Jesus really is saying to this man on his bed in front of this room that's all gone quiet You have a bigger problem, even than your paralyzed legs. You, like everyone else, are a sinner. And it's it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus really is saying here that the main problem, I, I think often we could have a competition to see who's got the worst problems, and we could all tell stories, couldn't we, of all our difficulties. What Jesus is saying here is the main problem in a person's life is not their suffering, but their sin. Now, I I think this um, reveals an important truth. I want to give it a name. I'm going to call it the law of if only. Oh, there it is. Is this going on automatically? The law of if only. I think that we all live our lives with dreams, and so our lives will go something like this. For the, well, for this man it was, if only I could walk, then my life would be amazing. What Jesus is saying to this man in this story is, really? It does sound a bit harsh when you say that, doesn't it? But there's something very profound here. Imagine you're this man. He is right, of course, to long to walk again, isn't he? He would. If only I could walk again, I would never complain again about anything. This is all I need. I'd be happy forever. But would he? Do you think? Would you? Before long, the euphoria dies down. And the discontent in the human heart find something else to latch on to and say, if only, all over again. Isn't that true? Let me um, just share with you a story. I couldn't remember whether I'd shared this story with you before. If I have, I'm really sorry. But I'm going to share it again, if I have. 
Who is this man? Do you recognise him? You know. He's a rugby football. That is the correct answer. And he played for England and he scored a very famous drop goal. It's Johnny Wilkinson. He scored a drop goal in the last second of the World Cup final against Australia, in Australia, for England to win the World Cup. What a great day that was. He wrote an article in the Times newspaper on the 21st of November 2009. And I want to read to you what Johnny Wilkinson said. These are very honest words. Where do you go when you are 24 years old and you've already got what you wanted from life? It is funny what happens when your biggest dreams come true. Especially when you feel, as I did, that you still have so much to give. That night in Sydney, I was searching for the Hollywood film ending to my story. And in a way, I got it. You probably know what happened. The close game, extra time, my dropped goal and a 2017 England victory. I remember well how I would have done almost anything in return for the right result before that game. I recall making imaginary packs inside my head in the changing room before the kickoff. The answer to all my dreams was a mere 80 minutes away, and at the time it meant more than life itself for me to secure it. The problem was that in the real world, life goes on after the credits roll. Any time that you work hard for something, when you invest a great deal of yourself and your ambitions, and you succeed... There is room for the expectation that the fulfilment and happiness will be, will, will be with you always from that moment on. I sat in the same changing room in Sydney after that epic battle until pretty much everyone had left. I didn't want to wave goodbye because I didn't want to let go of the moment and give in to its inevitable passing. I had already begun to feel the elation slipping away during the lap of honour around the field. I couldn't believe that all the effort was losing its worth so soon. This was something I'd fantasised about achieving since I was a child. In my head I'd reached the peak of the mountain and now all that was left was to slowly descend the other side. I had just achieved my greatest ambition and it felt a bit empty. Isn't that honest? If only we could win. My life would be happy forever. It didn't even last for the lap of honour to finish. Jesus has taken this man further than the superficial. The real problem we have is that we build our lives and our identities on all sorts of if-onlys. If I could just get that job, if I could just afford that house, if I could just have the money to dot, 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 if I could just get rid of this illness, and so it goes on. And these things, in a way, become a kind of saviour to us. If only this thing would come off for me, then I would be truly happy, and I'd be saved from a meaningless, futile life. The problem is that sometimes we get our deepest wish, and then we find out that it doesn't completely satisfy us. Do you know what's really amazing is that often when people first come to Jesus, 
They come because they have some problem and they wonder whether Jesus can fix it for them. A bit like Jim will fix it, I suppose. Do you remember that? Jim will fix it. It's not on TV that now, is it? What is really going on is that we just want Jesus to give us a little help to get us kick-started so that we can get back to the real business of saving ourselves. But Jesus is driving this man deeper, isn't he, to see that the only saviour actually is not a something, but a person. Jesus, who will never turn on you, who will never disappoint you, There are times in life where he may not give you what you think you need, but he will give you himself. And in the end, ultimately, that, in actual fact, is all you need. I was reading recently in a book, someone who was uh, watching celebrities in Hollywood and seeing all these wannabe celebrities striving to get fame and status. And when they do, this person who was watching said they become insufferable. Because they realise that they're still the same person underneath with just a load more pressure. And this person said, this is a great quote, to grant someone's deepest wishes is like a rotten joke. But Jesus isn't playing a rotten joke on this man here. Our greatest problem is thinking that getting our wishes fulfilled will satisfy us. We need to learn to let Jesus be our saviour and not something else. Did you notice, though, in this story that there were people listening? Uh, It's hard to describe this part of the story in our modern culture. I suppose in the room there were, I suppose you'd call them religious people. Very clever. They were respected as pillars in the community. And when they heard Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, they were absolutely furious. And let me try and explain why they were furious. Who can I pick on? Maybe I can pick on Richard and Jai here. Just imagine that um, Richard and Jai were chatting. And then Richard, in a fit of temper, smashed Jai right in the mouth. I've seen it happen. (laughs) (laughs) There's blood on the carpet. There's teeth everywhere. Jai's bleeding. And then I go up and I say to Richard, Richard, it is okay. I forgive you for punching Jai right in the mouth. I think Jai would say, hang on a minute, your teeth are still in place. He didn't punch you, he punched me. Do you get the point? The only person who could forgive Richard, is who? Jai. Because he's the one who's here, isn't he? For me to forgive Richard is a nonsense. So can you see why these religious leaders were furious? When Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven, if our sin is against God, who on earth does Jesus think he is to say, your sins are forgiven? By saying that, he's claiming to be the one that's hurt, isn't he? He's claiming to be God in a human body. No wonder these religious leaders are furious. 
He's really saying that the sins this paralyzed man have committed are against me. But only a person's creator can say that, surely. That's why they were so furious. And then Jesus, it, Mark tells us that Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so he turns to them and he asks them a question. Which is easier? What a great question that is. Which is easier? Is it easier for me to say, I forgive the man, or is it easier for me to say, get up and walk? And you can hear the brain cells going, can't you, these religious men? I've always thought, when I've read this story, that what Jesus is saying is this, I could forgive the guy, but that's invisible. And you'll never know whether he was really forgiven or not. But to heal him, that takes real power, visible power. So he basically proves his power to forgive the man by healing the man's legs. Do you get that? I've kind of always thought, that, and that, that is a valid answer. But just reading one writer recently, there's another possibility here as well. Because actually, it is not that easy to forgive sins. For Jesus, if he is the Son of God, to heal the man's legs costs him nothing, does it? He can just do it. In fact, he could grant anybody's deepest wish at any moment, if he is who he claims to be. But to forgive someone's sins is a moral issue. And ultimately, that forgiveness will cost Jesus his own life. Because he is a saviour who dies so that sinners can be forgiven. Jesus could have just healed the guy and everyone could have gone home happy. But he isn't content to leave it there. He wants everyone to know at this point that he is more than a miracle worker. He is a saviour. But that revelation so deeply infuriates these religious men that they begin to plot to kill him just for saying it. So right there in chapter 2 of Mark, Jesus is really beginning here, I think, to spell out his real identity and his real mission and the shadow of the cross where he's heading is falling across his path. Jesus here knows that he is provoking these religious leaders... And that one day, they will kill him for making claims like this. What is truly amazing about that is that the very death he dies is the means for sinners to be forgiven. Jesus is utterly in control. I want to suggest to you that we don't really need a genie who can give us what we want. What we need is a saviour who can give us what we really need. And according to Jesus here, what we really need, more than anything else in all the world, is forgiveness. None of us can stand before a holy God and say, I'm good enough. It is one of the things that makes us run away from God. And yet here in this story we see that Jesus has come into the world 
not to abandon us or to condemn us, but to save us at the cost of his own life. What we really need is Jesus himself. And I want to commend him to you as we thought about this story. I want to commend him to you and urge you and encourage you to put your faith and trust in the one who died to save you and to give you a relationship with God.